0: What's up, people? Hey, welcome back. I uh, hope you guys had a great spring break. Uh, shout out to the Jamaica team. Uh, yeah, front row. There you go. Always, always. Hey, I love it. I saw great pictures, cool videos. Excited to keep hearing more uh, stories about the week. Uh, if you don't know me, my name's Kyle. I'm one of the pastors here at the church. I also get to help lead Veritas, our college ministry. And uh, if tonight is your first time here at Veritas on a Tuesday night. I'm really, really glad that you're here because we're starting a new series on mental health. And tonight, if you haven't figured out, uh, we are starting with the topic of anxiety. Anxiety. Why, why start a series on mental health on anxiety? Well, according to the New York Times, Americans are among the most anxious people on earth. According to the American Psychiatric Association, two out of every three Americans are anxious, and nearly one in three adults over 18 said that they are more anxious now than in the previous year, meaning their anxiety is getting worse. And for a lot of people, we're not just talking about general kind of situational anxiety. In fact, according to the Anxiety and Depression Association of America, that's a mouthful. Anxiety disorders have reached epidemic levels in the United States. Forty million adults in the United States alone have some kind of anxiety disorder. Now, what this means is that we, all of us, right now are experiencing the highest levels of anxiety in the history of history, Leading one person a few years ago to say, back in 2017, she said, if you're a human being living in 2017 and you're not anxious, there's something wrong with you. If you're alive and you're not anxious, something is wrong with you. But of course, it's not just Americans in general. It's, it's your generation, Gen Z in particular, right? Right? People ask me all the time, Kyle, I've been working now with with college students. I've been working here for about 15 years. People ask me all the time, hey, what's different with college students now than than 15 years ago? And one of the first things that I always talk about is, is mental health. See, I don't even think mental health was a phrase that we used 15 years ago. Now it's a necessity. We can't not talk about mental health. Jean Twin, she's a professor of psychology at San Diego State University. She wrote a book called iGen, just another way of saying Gen Z. She says this. I think it's interesting. She said, iGeners look so happy online, making goofy faces on Instagram, but dig deeper, and reality is not so comforting. iGen is on the verge, catch this, iGen is on the verge of the most severe mental health crisis for young people in decades. On the surface, though, everything is fine. Time Magazine recently in a cover story uh, on teenage anxiety they said this, they said that the kid, this is is the headline of the article, the kids are not alright, you're not kids but you get it right, the kids are not alright. American teens are anxious depressed and overwhelmed. Why? Well it goes on in this article to say this, it says that your generation is the post 9-11 generation Raised in an era of economic and national security, you've never known a time when terrorism and school shootings weren't the norm. You grew up watching your parents weather a severe recession, and maybe most importantly, you hit puberty at a time when technology and media were transforming society. Now, now here's the kicker. With all the things that I just mentioned, all the studies, all the stats, all the headlines and articles, all those things, here's the kicker. All of that came prior. To COVID it all came before COVID right which statistically has done what it's brought more anxiety more panic more loneliness more depression in other words everything's not fine everything's not fine it's not fine in the world of mental health for us you see on the surface it might seem fine right It's easy to fool people on social media, but under the surface for a lot of us, when it comes to mental health, things aren't fine for us at all. And anxiety in particular is now the most common mental health issue in the United States. Now I, I want to pause here for, for a second because I, I, this is a good spot for me to mention that that I'm very very aware. I thought a lot. Of, I, I'm very aware that a one size fits all approach to anxiety is not very helpful. It's not helpful anxiety disorders um, general clinical anxiety are real things things that we need to talk about things that that we will talk about in fact in a few weeks we're bringing some counselors into Veritas we're gonna do another kind of Q&A with them you can ask all the questions that you want kind of like we did last uh, series with our relationship series I can't possibly say everything that there is to say about anxiety and, and I'm not going to talk about clinical anxiety tonight. Instead, I want to focus on the more general anxiety that most, if not every single one of us feels, OK? So, so uh, Ben Stewart, uh, if you were at Passion with us back in January, he's a pastor of Passion City, DC. Uh, he's written books, uh, done lots of things. You heard him speak. Um, and, and something he said a while ago, he said this. He said, for many of us, our biggest problem, for many of us, our biggest problem, it's not our problems. It's our anxiety about our problems that's wrecking our lives. See, the the problem, according to Ben Stewart, is is not our problem. The problem is not our problems. The problem is our anxiety about those problems that ends up wrecking us. Now, as it turns out, Jesus said something pretty similar. In Matthew chapter 6, the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus says this. He says, therefore, I tell you. Do not worry. I I highlighted this word worry right here because I want us to see that, that when the Bible uses the word worry, you could just swap out anxiety. In fact, other translations in this passage would say, do not be anxious. It's the same word. So Jesus says, therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink or about your body, what you'll wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? was dressed like one of these. If that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, grass is often used to feed fire, thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry, Jesus says, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, non-Christians run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first, seek first his kingdom, his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. See, what Jesus is warning us is that our worry, our anxiety about our problems, in this passage those problems are are things like like what to eat, what to drink, our, our bodies, what to wear. Jesus says that that our anxiety, our worry about our problems, it wrecks us. It wrecks our lives. Why? Because Jesus says that it gets in the way of pursuing him. Jesus says, don't worry. Don't be anxious. Seek first. See, when we are worried, when we're anxious, it often gets in the way of us following Jesus. The Gospel of Luke, Jesus is talking to a a different group of people, and he tells a parable, just a short story. And it's the parable of the sower, the farmer who goes out and sows the seed. And so the story kind of goes like this. Jesus is talking to a group of people, and he says, hey, a guy, a farmer goes out and he sows seed. He throws some of the seed out, and it falls on the path. And, And you know what happens to that seed? Well, it falls on the path, and it gets trampled, and eventually birds come and eat the seed, so nothing grows. And then he says, some of the seed, though, it falls on the rocks, and and it grows for a while, but, but it doesn't have any roots, so eventually it just withers and dies. Other seed, Jesus says, kind of gets thrown out, and it starts to grow, but thorns and thistles kind of start to grow around it and entangle it and choke it. And then lastly, he said, there's seed that falls on good soil, and it grows, and it produces a crop. Now, now, when Jesus is talking to this group of people, they're, they're confused. Even his closest friends, his disciples, his closest followers, they come to him and they say, Jesus, what are you talking about? What does this have to do with us? And this is, he explains it to them. This is what he says in Luke chapter 8, picking up in verse 11. He says, this is the meaning of the parable. The seed is the word of God. Those along the path are the ones who hear. And then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. Those on the rocky ground are the ones who receive the word with joy when they hear it, but, when, but they have no root. They believe for a while, but in the time of testing, they fall away. The seed that fell among the thorns stands for those who hear, catch this. But as they go on their way, they're choked by life's worries, riches, and pleasures, and they do not mature but the seed on good soil stands for those with a noble and good heart who hear the word, retain it, and by persevering, produce a crop. See, Jesus says to, to his disciples, he says, look, the, the seed is the word of God. Paul, in a different book in the New Testament, a different letter in the New Testament, he says that, that the word is also the word of life. So Jesus says the seed is the word of God, the the word of life. And and sometimes Jesus says that the word of life, it gets choked out by what? The worries of life. The word of life gets choked out by the worries of life. And because of that, it doesn't grow. it It doesn't mature. It doesn't produce a crop. It doesn't bear fruit. You see, the weeds of worry choke the life out of us. The weeds of worry, the weeds of anxiety in our lives, Jesus is saying to us, he's saying it chokes the life out of us. Okay, so, so get this. I, I, I read the other day uh, that um, a dense fog, right, a dense fog covering seven blocks, 100 feet deep, right, Dense fog, seven seven blocks, 100 feet deep. It contains as much water as found in a cup of water. A cup of water broken up into millions and millions of droplets can create a dense fog, seven city blocks, 100 feet deep. That's crazy, isn't it? I mean, a glass of water. Something so small can become so large. And Yet that's exactly what happens with our anxiety, isn't it? That's exactly what happens with our anxiety. Something happens in our lives, whatever it is that causes us to to be anxious, whatever it causes us to be worried, most of the time, not always, but most of the time, it usually starts out small, but then it expands and expands and expands. And eventually, what was once really small is now huge, and it's consuming, right? It's consuming mentally. It's consuming emotionally. It's consuming physically and spiritually, Something so small becomes something so large that before we know it, we can't see clearly, we can't think clearly, we lose perspective. That's what Jesus is saying about anxiety. That's what he's saying about worry. That we lose perspective. When we, when we fixate on our anxiety, we we can't see Jesus clearly. The worries of life, they they choke out the word of life. We can't see Jesus. We can't follow Jesus. We won't pursue Jesus. So what do we do? What do we do? We read this passage together earlier. Paul says this in Philippians, picking up, this is chapter 4, picking up in verse 6. He says, do not be anxious, about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Now, I know what's happening right now because I was the same way. For some of you, maybe it happened earlier, maybe it's happening right now. We see, do not be anxious about anything and what's happening. We're thinking to ourselves, Paul, that's That's insane. Right? That is absolutely ridiculous. In fact, some of us might even be tempted to say, This is exactly why I don't follow the Bible. This is exactly why I don't read the Bible. The Bible is so out of touch with reality that something written 2,000 years ago would, would have the nerve to tell me not to be anxious about anything. And to be honest, if you think that Paul's saying here not to ever be anxious, that that's ridiculous, I agree with you. I agree with you. And if you're tempted to check out because you think the Bible is telling you never to have an anxious thought, then I want you to stick with me because that's not what Paul's saying at all. That's not what he's saying. How do I know? Well, I'm not going to get into it too much because you don't care that much. But here's the deal. This verb right here, do not be anxious, it's a Greek verb. Remember the the Old Testament, the first two-thirds of the Bible, it's written in Hebrew. The, The New Testament, the last third, it's written in Greek. This Greek word right here. We kind of lose this a little bit in our English translation. It comes across as do not be anxious. But, but the, the sense of this Greek verb is to, to dwell or, or meditate or, or have the sense of pondering over something fearful or, or anxious, some sort of anxious thought. And so, in other words, what, what Paul's saying here when he says do not be anxious, Paul's not telling us, the Bible is not telling you and me to never have an anxious thought. Rather, what it's saying, when it says do not be anxious, it's saying don't dwell on your anxiety. Don't dwell or or fixate on your worries. Don't dwell on your anxious thoughts. Don't dwell on your worries. See see the difference? Right? It's, It's literally impossible to not have an anxious thought. Right? And, and honestly, that would probably be bad if we never had an anxious thought. There are lots of good reasons to be anxious. My kid runs out in the street, I'm anxious, right? That's a good anxiety. It's literally impossible to never have an anxious thought. But it is possible. It is possible to not fixate on them. It is possible to not dwell on worry. It is possible to not dwell on our anxiety. And if anyone knew this, of course it was Paul, Right? I mean, think for a second, where was Paul when he wrote these words? Do you know? Where was he sitting when he wrote these words? Yeah, he was in jail. And not only was he in jail, chained up, he had a death sentence on his life. Like he literally was about ready to be killed. He's in jail, death sentence, and he's writing to a church and now to us, and he's saying, do not be anxious. See, Paul had plenty of things to be anxious about. He had plenty of things to worry about, and yet he has the audacity to say that if you and I, if we want perspective, if we want to see Jesus for who he really is, then we shouldn't dwell on our anxiety. We shouldn't dwell on the things that we're worried about. But he offers something else instead, right? The next part of this verse, he says, but instead, in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests. To God. Come to Jesus in the midst of our anxiety. Come to Jesus in the midst of our worry and prayer. Now, I, I know that some of you earlier y- you were thinking to yourself, like, really, Paul, like, don't be anxious. That's that's the solution. And, and if you weren't then, now you're thinking, really, Paul, the solution is the solution to my anxiety, the solution to my worry, it's just to pray. Like, are you kidding me? And again, if if you're saying that to yourself, I get it. I've been there. It seems trite. It seems overly simplistic. It honestly, it seems really cliche. I actually said all of that to someone. I said, look, this is like, this is so overly simplistic. This is way too, this can't possibly have anything to do with my life. And the guy that I said that to, he said, okay, that's fine. But can I just ask you a question? I said, yeah, sure. He said, well, tell me what you're doing that's, that's actually helping you. He said, how's what you're currently doing to fight your anxiety, how's your current coping mechanism for anxiety, how's that working out for you? And I'm glad he asked me that question because he knew the truth is it, it wasn't. It wasn't. My, my, anxi- my coping mechanisms for anxiety weren't working for me. See, the Bible says that rather than dwelling on our anxiety, rather than dwelling on our worry, that we should turn to Jesus, we should come to Jesus, we should bring our worry and our anxiety to Jesus. But, but I wasn't turning to Jesus, I was turning to alcohol. I, I wasn't turning to Jesus, I was turning to pills. I wasn't turning to Jesus, I was, I was turning to try and make myself look good. I was turning to an obsession with, with having control, I was turning to numbing myself with social media. I was turning to anger and resentment. See, I scoffed at the notion that the Bible might actually know what's best for me, that the Bible might actually know what was better for me than I did. But do you know where all that stuff ended up, like where, where it led me? All those things that, that I was doing, you know where the, all that stuff, where, how, where it brought me? My coping mechanisms for my anxiety? And to be honest, it led me to a breakdown in the middle of Ellis Library in front of dozens of college students my junior year in college. Complete breakdown right in the middle of the library during finals week. You see, my coping mechanism, my strategy, it wasn't working apart from Jesus. What about yours? What, what about your, what, what's your coping mechanism? What's your coping strategy for your anxiety? See, if you're sitting there just like I was thinking that Paul's words are ridiculous, I just want to humbly invite you, and I mean it humbly, because I get that this is challenging. I just want to humbly invite you to consider that question, to be honest with yourself about that question. How's your current coping strategy for anxiety, how's it working out for you? How's it working out? Is it helping? Is it making your life better? Or if you're honest, is it worse? Not going away, not getting any better? See maybe the Bible is actually on to something. when Paul says back in Philippians four when, when he says in these verses, when he says, don't be anxious about anything, in other words, be anxious about no thing that's another way we could say that. Paul says, "Be anxious about nothing but in Everything. Be anxious about nothing but in every situation. Be anxious about nothing but in everything. Turn to Jesus. Bring your anxiety to Jesus. You see, a lot of us think that the Bible's answer to anxiety, maybe you've been told this, it's wrong. We think that the Bible's answer to anxiety is stop. Just stop it. Stop being anxious. Stop worrying. That couldn't be further from the truth. That's not the Bible's message to us who struggle with anxiety. The Bible's message to us is 1 Peter 5, verse 7. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Cast all your anxiety on Jesus because he cares for you. In other words, Jesus is inviting us. He's saying, look, don't stuff it. Don't suppress it. Don't hide it. Don't pretend that you don't have it. Bring it to me, Jesus says. Why? Why? Because I love you. I care for you. You can trust me. You can rest in me, in my love for you. You see, what Jesus is saying to us is that he can handle whatever it is that we're going to. He can handle it. And it's not just that he can handle it. It's that he wants to. That's what he wants to do in your life. And so he's inviting you to cast your anxiety, to to bring your worries to him. Why? So the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Bring it to Jesus, and we get peace. Bring our anxiety and our worry to Jesus, and over time, we get peace. Jenny Allen, she's a great speaker, author, also at Passion, uh, wrote a fantastic book, Uh, called Get Out of Your Head. Uh, It's written to women, but frankly, I think it should be written to men, too, because it's it's fantastic. You should check it out. Um, But one of the things that she says in her book is, I think, pretty insightful. She says this. She says, the greatest spiritual battle of our generation is being fought between our ears. The greatest spiritual battle of our generation is being fought between our ears. Which when I see that, when I read that, when I hear that, I immediately go to Romans 12 verse 2. Paul says this. He says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. There is a battle going on in our minds. And Paul is calling us to be transformed by the renewing of our see what these verses what this verse means is that battle it's possible to win. What this means is that it's possible to win the fight against anxiety. Some of us aren't so sure, but here's the thing the Bible is. Some of us aren't quite sure, but Jesus is that we can renew our minds, that we can fight against anxiety and worry, that we can actually have peace. But we got to renew our minds. How do we do that? Lots of things that we could say. I came across an acronym the other day. I'm going to share it with you. I'm not always an acronym guy. Sometimes I feel like it's cheesy and it's cliche for a pastor to give an acronym. But I'm a pastor, so I'm going to give you an acronym. So here it is. And by the way, uh, this is the kind of thing that, you know, for me, I've been doing it in a variety of ways. Sometimes I write these things down. Sometimes I take my dog on a walk. Sometimes I just find a quiet space and I go through these things. But how do we start to renew our minds? Well, let's start with truth. Let's start with truth. And so the T in that truth is trigger. The first thing here is is trigger. And so we ask ourselves, just ask yourself, Remember, this is a habit, right? So this isn't like the silver bullet. This is the kind of thing that, that we're going to have to work on, we're going to have to do, and, and slowly over time, these, these are the kinds of things that help us renew our minds, help us grow and mature. But, but all of these things always start with something. And so just ask yourself, what, whatever it is that you're feeling, whatever it is that you're thinking, what, what triggered it? What, what started it? And then go to the next thing, which is the R, and it's root beliefs and values. In other words, what's underneath whatever it is that you're thinking and feeling? Why is it there? See, we can't really fight our anxiety. We can't really fight our worry if we, know, if we don't know why it's there. So sometimes you just got to literally ask, why is this thing here? Why am I anxious? Why am I worried? Why am I whatever it is? What's going on in my head and my heart? The you, unpleasant emotions. What am I actually feeling? Now maybe it sounds crazy that that's a question that we have to ask, but some of us in here, we don't always know what we're feeling. That's me, by the way. I mean, I literally remember being in a counseling situation at one point, and and a counselor asking me, hey, Kyle, tell me right now, what are you feeling? And I looked at him, and I said, I literally have no idea. And he's like, "Okay, but like, what what, what are you feeling? I got like, nothing. He goes, really? I'm like, yeah, really, I don't know. I've come a long way, right? He pulls a piece of paper out and he says, okay, here's like 100 different emotions, point. And I said, that one, right? Like that's, sometimes we don't know, but we got to ask the question. And sometimes it might be obvious and other times it might. It might take some time. What am I feeling? What am I really feeling? What's the emotion here because of this event, because of these root underlying beliefs? What's going on? What am I feeling? And we don't just stop there. I know our culture tells us that feelings are everything, right? But we don't stop there because feelings aren't everything. Jesus is. And so we go to the truth from God's word. So we take what we've got to so far and we go to the Bible. And we say, what does God have to say? I mean, how often, if you're honest, are you anxious or, or worrying about something and you realize, gosh, I haven't even brought this to Jesus. I haven't even asked Jesus about it. I haven't even talked. I haven't even looked in the Bible. Because I'm trying to fix it myself. Remember, we got our own coping strategies. But what does the Bible have to say about this situation? And maybe you don't know. Maybe you're new to the Bible. That's awesome. I'm so glad you're here. Right? Find a friend. Ask someone here. Ask a staff member. Ask a small group leader, a trusted mentor, someone. Ask. We'd love to share with you. Yeah, what what does the Bible have to say about this thing? Let's learn together. I probably don't know. Let's learn together. And then the last thing, the H, helpful future response. We don't want to just stop here because it's going to happen again, right? These things are going to keep popping up. They're not just going away. This isn't the silver bullet to make it never come back. But we're training ourselves to fight, to win the battle. So, so what's something that I can do in the future to help with what I'm thinking and feeling? Maybe it's a, a verse that I found here in the T, and, and now I've got this verse and I'm going to memorize it. Or maybe in the future, I'm just going to journal about it, or I'm going to talk to a friend about it, or I'm going to sit and meditate with Jesus, or I'm going to go on a walk and just talk to God. I don't know what it is, but what's something that you can do in the future to help with whatever it is that you're thinking and feeling, right? This is part of the process of of renewing our minds. I think some of us sometimes, maybe even you already had this experience. You hear me say, bring our anxiety to Jesus, bring our worry to Jesus, come to Jesus in prayer, and you're thinking like, dude, what does that even mean? Right? And again, there are a lot of things that we could say to that, but, but I think some of what it might mean is just doing this thing. Now I get if acronyms aren't your thing, I already said they're not always my thing, but I've been doing this and it helps. If it's not this, find something. Create space. Everything's so loud. Everything's so fast. So many things are coming at you. It's hard sometimes to create space, but create some space. Create some space in your day to just sit and be still and talk to God. What are you worried about? What are you anxious about? Maybe talk to a friend. Grab a friend. Maybe it's a counselor. Maybe you gotta go a step further. Talk to a pastor. I don't know. Tell someone that you trust. You see, I think... I think as we do things like that, that we'll start to experience more and more the peace that Paul talks about us having. See, that peace of God, which transcends all understanding. See, as it turns out, Jesus was the Prince of Peace, and he's inviting us to come to him. Music team, you guys can go ahead and come back. I'm just going to end tonight on this. I just want to make really certain that you heard me say this. Maybe you checked out, just come back just for a second. Three minutes, two minutes, right? The Bible is not telling you to never have an anxious thought. That is not what Jesus is saying. The Bible is not telling you to never have an anxious thought. The Bible is saying not to fixate not to dwell on that anxious thought, not to dwell on whatever it is that we're worried about. And so if that's the case, then we've got to ask the question, what are you dwelling on? What are you dwelling on in these kinds of situations? What are you fixated on? What are you consumed by? What is entangling you, your thought life, in the midst of of whatever it is that you're worried about, you're anxious about. Now here's a different question. Is that helping? Is whatever it is that you're dwelling on, is it actually making anything better? Is it adding an hour to your life? Is it making your life any better? See, Paul, we didn't look at this earlier, but Paul ends this passage, this passage in Philippians 4, he gives us something better to dwell on. He says this in verse 8. He says, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever's true, whatever's noble, whatever's right, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything's excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Think about this. Dwell on the Prince of Peace. Dwell on things that point you to Jesus, not your worry, not your anxiety. And when we dwell, when we think about such things, Paul says, Jesus says, we will in fact have that peace. Let's pray. Jesus, it's hard for us to wrap our minds around this reality that that what you're inviting us to That what you're asking us to do is just bring our anxieties to you. Cast our worries on you. We've tried maybe and it doesn't feel like it works. And we're tempted to look to other things. But God, we also know that those things don't work either. Maybe for a time, but not really. Really. And so we ask, Jesus, we ask, we plead, we beg, we're bringing our anxiety and our worry to you, Jesus. Would you give us this peace? Give us this peace. Give us yourself. We desperately want it. We need it.